Oh my God, breaking news. We just bought TikTok. Don't tell anybody. Now, anyways, welcome to Disrupt TV. Everybody's buying TikTok. Let's all get in on it. Uh, but anyways, the main thing here is we're in the green room. We're going to share, uh, explain what we're doing today and uh, do a quick round. I'm Ray Wong with Constellation Research. We've got our awesome producer, L, and of course, Vala Ashar, our co-founder and co-host of Disrupt TV. So, but awesome guests. Let's go in reverse order. John, Sarah, Sandeep, introduce yourselves, what you're going to talk about, and of course, where you're from. Uh, hey, uh, John Reed, co-founder of Diginomica, uh, opinionated takes on all things enterprise. I'm going to do a countdown of do's and don'ts for virtual events. It should wreck the show, but that's going to be later on. All right, we'll catch him in about 40 minutes. And of course, Sarah, what are we talking about today? Great, Sarah Elk. I'm a partner at Bain & Company. I'm in the Chicago area, and I'm here to talk about my new book, Doing Agile Right. Woohoo! Doing Agile Right. We'll pop a little bit here. There we go. Agile Right. Oh, look Sandeep. at that. Fancy. Hi, I'm Sandeep. I'm Chief Digital Officer at Mars Inc. I'm based here in New Jersey. I've been three years at Mars. Prior to that, Infosys and Citibank. And we're really trying to learn from people like Sarah to do this transformation right. So we'll share some insights from that transformation. All right. Welcome to episode 204. Let's go. All right. Three, two, one. Hello and uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, uh, he's a regular contributor to uh, Harvard Business Review, ZDNet. He just finished his second book. We'll have breaking news later on. I regularly see him on uh, Bloomberg, uh, BNN, Fox Business, Yahoo Finance. He's everywhere. And in my humble opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Ashar. You follow him on Twitter. You know exactly what's going on. Inspirational tweets. Every CEO, CMO, and CIO is following Bala. And of course, he's one of he's, he's a speak, keynote speaker himself. Tons of events. You'll see him out there. Customer events, of course. And more importantly, he's an author himself and one of the top thinkers in enterprise software. But that's not about us. We don't yeah, really, you want to spend time talking about us? We want to talk about the awesome folks doing digital transformation, doing it right. Uh, and who do we have today as our first guest? Talk about awesome guests. I've been following him on social for years. Sandeep Dalani, Chief Digital Officer at Mars Inc. Most of you know Mars is one of the largest privately held companies in the world. And Sandeep joined Mars uh, 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 as a Global Chief Digital Officer in uh, 2017. Yes, uh, and has been uh, responsible for working with Mars Global Business Segments to drive its digital transformation agenda while delivering effectiveness, efficiency to existing business and technology platforms. In the last two years, Sandeep has driven a new wave of consumer and user centricity, unleashing the power of data, analytics, AI, automation, while driving new agile digital behaviors across the Mars enterprise. Prior to joining Mars, Sandeep worked at Infosys, a $10 billion global system integration firm, where he was president, head of Americas and global head of Infosys manufacturing, retail, CPG, and logistical practices. In his role, he managed a portfolio P&L worth of $3.5 billion and helped more than 300 global, uh, 300 global clients embrace digital technologies, including AI and machine learning. 
You can follow Sandeep on Twitter at S-A-N-D-E-E-P-D-A-D-L-A-N-I. Welcome, uh, Sandeep, uh, to Disrupt TV. Yeah, no, Sandeep's been uh, wonderful. And uh, one of the interesting things that we've seen is like, you know, you've been like the first chief digital officer ever, right, at Mars. And I think this is before, like, you know, chief digital officers were even popular. I mean, this position was being created and you just popped in out of the blue. What are some of the misconceptions people thought you were doing as a chief digital officer and what ended up being the reality as we've been defining that role for Mars as well as other people in the industry? Hey, th thanks for having me, Ray and Wala. Uh, Ray is my best uh, poster child for Red Bull. Um, and, and Wala, of course, <laughs> is uh, inspirational in his, in his tweets. So uh, Chief Digital Officer uh, ranks as perhaps only the second most ambiguous title behind Chief Digital Evangelist, uh, I, I would say. Uh, but uh, it, at Mars, yes. when I joined, it was not clear to people what the mandate was. The mandate could be anything from fixing Wi-Fi to, you know, transforming the company and or everything in between. Um, the reality is it is a, just a title. Uh, it literally has no meaning to it. Uh, it depends on what you're solving for. And uh, let me tell you a little secret. Uh, no one's solving for digital. Uh, people are solving for revenues, for growth, for consumers, for customers, for speed, for relevance, for purpose. Uh, so digital then just becomes a one of the many methods uh, to, to solve for that. At Mars, what we aligned around is that Mars is a very, very smart company, 100 plus years, great businesses, pet care, chocolate, confectionery, food, uh, amazing businesses, even in this time. We aligned that we really are solving for speed. If we can get things done faster, if we can solve a consumer problem faster, then that would be great. So digital here meant going 100x, uh, 100 times faster. Mm -hmm. And so that so far has been our mandate. Um, our mandate has been the chief digital officer helps us go faster, uh, amplifies every associate of Mars. Hope that makes You know, sense. that's really important, right? This is a concept around decision velocity that's picking up, right? How quickly you can make a decision. It's something I'm writing about in my book, but uh, you know, you, you, you actually talk about this, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask the next question. I was just jump in here because it really gets me excited because we think this is gonna be the next battle, how quickly you can make the right decisions uh, that are out there. And, you know, I got a little comment here from uh, our friend over here. So, but yeah, so Vala, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, I mean, I. I I love the words relevance. I love the word speed. You know, if you're an athlete, sometimes you, you were told you can't teach speed, but in fact you can, uh, and you certainly can teach speed in business. I think of the four by 100 relay, uh, the first leg of the race is sometimes one and a half to one second slower than the second, third and fourth, because the runner starts at a stop position. Whereas second, third and fourth, the runners are in motion before the baton is handed to them. So what I have learned as a practitioner is that to have optimal speed, you need to design for movement. Yes. Uh, my company moved 50,000 people to work from home overnight because we're a cloud-first company. Adopting a cloud helps you design for movement. It allows you for agility and pivot. So I love the fact you used speed. And I also relevance because the currency today that matters most in a pandemic, when your discretionary spend is reducing, when the barriers to spend is not just relevance, but safety and accessibility, you now have three barriers in terms of where people spend their discretionary income on non-essentials. The speed to relevance is how, I'm sorry, the speed to value 
is how you show relevance. And if you show relevance over time, you earn trust. So these are like what you just said in that first answer is just incredibly important advice to business leaders. So what have you, how have you been coping and adjusting to this seismic event that started in January, February in the U.S.? And, uh, you know, it has really changed the way we live, work and experience different brands. Uh, how have you coped with that 100x speed mandate that you have in this new norm? Yeah, amazingly and, and awfully uh, is the best way to put it. Uh, <laughs> I think the, the three years prior to COVID, we had uh, aligned ourselves around a, a method, uh, a system of movement, uh, which is we, we really focused on finding every problem we were solving for closest to the end user, to, to our consumer. Uh, in our mm -hmm. principles, we believe in Mars, and the consumer is the boss. So who are we solving for? Are we solving for the for the R&D head of the company or the supply chain head or the chief? No, we're solving for the lady who, with a burqa and a stroller, entered our M&M store on, on 49th Street here. And, and she is the real person. How she is feeling ultimately matters, regardless of you, whether you put AI in your supply chain or not. How does she feel about it was, was key. And then we had invested in analytics capabilities, data scientists and automation. So when COVID hit, yes, we did what a lot of other big companies did. We moved, you know, we had 120,000 associates. We, we really were focused on associate safety and health. Uh, we have, we had workers who had to go to the factories. Got it. Um, I think we've Sandeep, lost some we lost. sound here. We lost some sound here, Sandeep. And uh, let's see if we can bring you back on the sound. I think you might have hit mute by accident. And let's see what happens. So let's see if we can try it again. Yeah, you're so, on mute now. So, yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so so uh, so we had to move 50, 60,000 workers uh, to, to Teams overnight. Uh, but beyond that, what did happen was the sense of speed almost went to 1,000x, the adrenaline pump that everybody got, yeah. the idea that your world of problem framing is just this rectangular laptop, really forced a level of attention, a level of mindfulness never, ever seen before. We were very nervous about closing our books. We closed them faster and smoother than ever before. We were nervous about doing digital launches. We launched Snickers Gratitude, or new M&M's brands faster than ever before. We, uh, we had techs getting adopted on Zoom, which, I mean, later on we were thinking, why the heck this wasn't a thing earlier? We could have actually had more techs adopted and so on. So about a hundred sprints later, the real problem now that we're dealing with is, how do we maintain what you said, Walla, the, the, the system of speed? Will this be on adrenaline? And you know, once you figure out that, okay, the world's gonna be okay, Will we just go back to our old ways? Or can we actually design the system of movement for a thousand X now and keep moving at this level of speed and this level of empathy? Because now people are more empathetic to each other. We really ask each other, how are you doing? How's your family? Yeah, How's your brother? Yeah, right. So on. Really important. It's like with John Wooden, famous basketball coach for UCLA. You know, uh, go fast, but don't hurry. Uh, you know, there's this there's, there's, there's mental, no, there's this mental stress of being on Zoom calls yes. all day, the social dissonance where your body says you're there, your mind says you're not. So there's real fatigue. And, uh, you know, we just have to be careful that, yes, the goal is to try to create value at the speed of need. 
you know, whatever that speed is, 100x, 1000x, 10,000x, because we don't get to decide the speed of need. It's our stakeholders and our customers. But at the same time, recognize the stress of trying to meet their needs. And, you know, you don't want to break the system. You don't want to break the employee and get them to a point where they're fatigued. So, you're, you know, it's a it's an incredible balancing act for executives like yourself. And I applaud, I, I applaud you for being able to move, uh, you know, a, a, a big company to do amazing things in such short order. Yeah, but that's, this goes to the point, like, Vala, you're right. I mean, we, we think about, like, the, the infrastructure that's acquired, right? How do you actually build to support that? And, you know, Sandy, we, we talked early during the crisis about, you know, how analytics and insights were being played as a, as a big part of the business, being more proactive in those areas. I mean, what, what advice would you give companies that are just never really embraced digital transformation? They've got to do it now. They're thinking it's more than digital channels. They've realized it's more than the business model. And, and you've got some, you know, really good experiences over the, not just the last three years, but also the last three months. I mean, lots of failures to learn from, Ray. Uh, I have scars on my back from failed digital efforts, if there are any such things, and across several companies. Um, but the one big realization from those failures is, uh, it wasn't about the technology, it never was. Uh, I think you talk about this in your book. It is about finding new unstated, unmet consumer needs or customer needs, whoever, if you're a B2B business, it's your customer, and then creating a business model around it. It's not just digitizing the process that serves the current customer. I, I get it, that's digital as well, but you know, good luck with that. I, I think the magic, the, the real transformation is when you discover new unmet insights. When people went into COVID, well, they have to wear masks. So if you have bad breath under the mask, is that a completely different model of selling chewing gum, for example? I don't know. Or is, you know, how are we trying to look at our ecosystem of pets now with pet food and pet hospitals and breeders and shelters and Fitbits for pets and so on? How does that come together when we have unique insights about the pet and pet owner? So you talk about it well in your book, but we found that if we find real problems closest to the consumer, create business models using analytics, and then drive automation to scale it at heck, I think those are the best uh, you know, efforts. Now, half of them have failed, and that's fine. But the other half are super, absolutely super. <laughs> That's Sandy. a great ratio, though. Half is a great ratio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In <laughs> baseball, you're a, hall of, you're a Hall of Famer batting 500. Uh, uh, okay, so, you know, you, you, are, you, know, you have a, a, a reputation of being an incredible technologist, and we can talk about advanced and emerging tech all day, all night. But I think what's important, and you also have a reputation for this, of being an incredible human being, you know, we, we, have, we have the health crisis, we, which has led to an economic crisis. The racial and inequality crisis. California is burning. Louisiana is underwater. Climate crisis, and some would argue uh, a, a lack of leadership crisis at the highest levels. All of this leading to a trust deficit. All of this leading to angst and anxiety, which we're all suffering from. Some more than others. You know, we're getting close to 200,000 deaths in the U.S. What are your thoughts in terms of the the heightened set up sense of empathy, and flexibility, and generosity? that Mars has been able to demonstrate with 120,000 some odd employees. And it's an expectation of you, one of their top leaders, to champion these emotions and characteristics of good leadership. Again, generosity, empathy, flexibility. Talk to us about the importance of that and give advice to other entrepreneurs 
who need to really understand that what you do right now will define your brand for the next 10 years plus. I completely agree. Look, I think Mars is a, is a family company. Um, and that does, just doesn't mean family owned. Uh, we, we treat each other like family. We always hug each other. Like we, we, we genuinely enjoy it. We cry and laugh very well together as a company. And I've been in other companies and I know every company says this, but this is truly a different kind of private family hugging kind of place. And so COVID is hard on us. I mean, I can't hug you anymore. And that's just, you know, ridiculous, it's painful. But associate safety, health and wellness has been our top one to 10 priorities. And so really understanding that associates, sure, they need, you know, some of them are working from home, some in the, in the factory, some in the hospitals. What might they need? So in the factory, if we have to have half the attendance um, for safety purposes, can I then use augmented reality to help them drive better production line changes? And, and that's a, a pilot, which was, by the way, in the doldrums for three years now, it's like spread like wildfire, right? It's just crazy. For yeah. wet, um, telemedicine wasn't a thing for pets. It's just, I mean, it's never been done, period. Telemedicine was still a thing for humans and it took off. Well, it took off for wets in like exactly 24 hours. It just turned around and about, you know, 1500 telemedicine wet calls were done and people are struggling to keep their pets along with you in the, in the team session or Zoom session. It's just it's ridiculous. And then finally, for associates, um, programs for mental health, wellness, physical health, et cetera, really have taken off. Extended assistance around childcare, you know, better workplaces at home, those things have come out. But on the consumer side, we have allowed the associates and all our consumers around campaigns like Snickers Gratitude. It's a D2C campaign launched in three days flat that actually awesome. allow you to Mars will match your contribution to a frontline worker. This has the best of digital first party data ecosystems, D2C platforms, launched in three days, but in the purpose with empathy to the frontline workers, you know, and so on. So uh, I have a team, a small team that every Friday interviews consumers on Zoom or Teams and just talks to them. Like, you're not trying to find out, oh, will M&Ms work or will, will this, uh, you know, pedigree work? They're just talking to them about their lifestyle. And mm. every Friday, they come up with an insight. This is not classic consumer research. They just come up with an aha. And they say, hey, this is a new micro trend. This is not being reported by all the consulting firms. This awesome. is new. And every Friday, this Friday, they found a, a, a lady in, in New Jersey who's lost her two jobs and is oh. trying to buy meat from a wholesaler because Walmart's too expensive for her. But she's sharing that with nine other people in her neighborhood because they're all, you know, reasonably poor. But that's the first time she's learning how to make payments on Zelle or Venmo or PayPal. And so this is unique. Now we think about what does that mean for all our consumers that, that the poorest will now have to learn electronic payments. Next week will be some other insight. So every insight unlocks for us a way to be more purposeful to the uh, society, if that makes sense. You know, that's, that's a amazing. great example. Sandy, if, you, if, you were, if you were in person right now, I would be giving you a big hug. So I just want you to know. 
That's an awesome story. Awesome story. You got Go ahead, some, uh, Ray. comments from fellow Martians. Uh, let's say hello here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a great story because what, what happens is what you could do is create a service that would allow you to buy in bulk and find 10 other people to split up the payments and yeah. then do that in Zelle and, 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 and have people then find a way to drop it off and pick up and partial out payments or broker payments or say, hey, I've got... I've got a fig tree. It's going nuts. So I got 200 figs. I'll trade you the figs for the meat. <laughs> like, what do you want? <laughs> right. And create your own barter network overnight. <laughs> so. There you go. I, Ray's already activated that insight, but we, we need that kind of stuff. <laughs> the next hundred weeks, because they're so uncertain, hundred weeks, two years from now, because they're so uncertain, every week will produce a new micro insight. And if you activate against each of them, Half of them, well, eighty percent of them will fail, but the remaining twenty percent will be super blockbusters. No, that's awesome. That's amazing. You know, that, that beginner, been... that beginner's mindset. Yeah, this is awesome. Ahead, I mean, man. you have, I mean, definitely had a lot of awesome experiences. Really thinking about transformation, transferring the business, and what's going on. Um, I think this has been wonderful. Hey, is there one quick thing like people should think about as they're trying to get to this mindset, like culturally things that you know that an organization needs to do uh, in terms of like, being able to be ready for this? I mean, other than you know, other than this survey that everyone's been popping up here, like you know, who 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 led the COVID? You know, who who led your digital transformation? And the answer is COVID. I don't know if it's, you can see it, but it's kind of hilarious, right? It's just, CEO was it the CTO? No, it was COVID. But uh, but there's a little bit more to that, right? So all the more. I mean, Walla, I think tweeted earlier today. Martin Luther King said, "I have a dream." This day at 1963, he said, "I have a dream." So I just say, look, dream big. But if you can start small by getting as close as possible to your customer and understand how she's feeling right now, I think you'll unlock more than you know all the ai and blockchain in the world can, can ever unlock i mean you find ways to meet that need so that's my only i mean learning through through many failures so so please take that as, as a humble learning from like hundreds of failures and i can talk to you about the failure someday but i'll tell you this learning thank you so much Same we are here with you. legendary leader sandeep dadlani chief digital officer at mars you can follow him at sandeep d-a-d-l-a-n-i he's been responsible for a lot of transformations at lots of companies and now at mars so thank you so much for being on the show and, and see you at our event so thank you so much brilliant you were brilliant thank you so much Sandeep. wow uh, you know uh, I, I know he doesn't think his title matters <laughs> But if there's one lesson in 2020 is every company is a digital company. And so you need people that think like him, uh, regardless of the title. Um, and you're right. Nobody knows what an evangelist does. Um, Sarah Elk, <laughs> partner at uh, Bain Company and co-author of Doing Agile Right, uh, which we're going to be talking about during our next segment. Sarah's a global leader of Bain's uh, operating model practice, as well as a core member of the retail practice. With more than 20 years of consulting experience, Sarah is passionate about transforming large companies, especially those experiencing technology or business model disruption. Mars is a large company, for example. Sarah has deep transformational experience at intersectional organizational, agile, performance improvement, leadership, and change management. Her client portfolio includes several Fortune 50, Fortune 50 companies. Welcome, uh, Sarah, to Disrupt TV. Nice, it's great to be here. Hey, Sarah, thanks great so much for you. being here. We just 
we just talked with uh, you know Sandeep talking about you know the need to be able to react quickly, to be able to move faster, and you know what better book to start this uh, than what you have? You know, really talking about doing agile right. Um, so you spend a lot of time with like corp companies thinking about how to get this quickly, right? How to get it done, and the pandemic might have changed exactly what happened in terms of their reaction time or their interest in actually adopting what you have to say. So what have they learned along the way as you've been working with your clients? Yeah, it's interesting because we wrote the book in 2019, not knowing what 2020 was going to bring. And uh, the book, the timing wow. of the book couldn't be better, really. Uh, what we've experienced is a lot of what Sandeep described. So, you know, all of a sudden having to respond to the pandemic um, or really any other disruption in the business, but in particular recently the pandemic and the companies have had what we would call sort of sporadic agile teams came together you know, really specific missions, responding to what needed to get done, and they've accomplished almost heroic things. And that's true across industries. There's there's hundreds and thousands of examples. You know, I think Sandeep described it as a thousand times faster when they're shooting for a hundred times faster, right? So, um, and that's really terrific. But now here's the challenge. How do I build that in? How do I take that sporadic agile and turn it into systematic agile and be able to build that into my normal way of working now post COVID to get the benefit of that and be able to do that in a way that's sustainable for my employees. But, but, but wait, I thought this was a temporary project for agile. What do you right. mean? You don't you have doing this forever? energy drain, right? I think people are feeling tired post COVID. It's, <laughs> I can't say post, but um, you know, that took a lot of energy to sort of, fight the system, so to speak, inside all of these companies and break down the silos and be really clear on the mission and align the resources. And um, we have to change our operating model to be able to build that in and do that on an ongoing basis. The, you know, the dynamic nature of the markets that we're in is, is here to stay. My, my, my oldest uh, is a senior in high school. Uh, how would, Sarah, how would I describe agile to her? Um, do I talk to her about speed? Is it velocity, speed, and direction? Is it uh, iterative mindset? Uh, you know, how, what's the what, what's the simplest way I can describe agile in the context of business? Right, it's a confusing word, um, and it's quite a buzzword. And so, it's actually great to spend a little bit of time on on how should you define it. I think um, agility is a set of principles or mindsets, as well as a set of practices. And so, it's often referred to in a business context as speed. Um, velocity implies speed and direction. So I like to think that both are equally important. It's not just about being fast. It's about knowing where you're going when you are fast. Um, and there's a, the, the principles that underlie that are important and should be spread throughout your organization. But Agile also can specifically mean uh, specific methodologies related to Agile teams. So maybe that's Scrum, Kanban, or other methodologies. And when we bring you know teams of six to eight people together that are working in these unique ways, they can really solve problems in a differential way. And it's unlocking the power of those agile teams using those practices in addition to how the whole company works together so that you can become a more agile enterprise. It's not just about the teams. You need the teams deployed against those specific missions to solve problems, but you don't need them everywhere in your company but you do need to change the other elements of your operating model around funding, planning, how you review things, how your management team works together, leadership, culture, all those things matter just as much as whether or not you actually have agile teams in your company. 
Terrific. Yeah, you know, and one of the interesting things as, as that journey to Agile, people don't realize how that level of collaboration has to be, right? Like what level and what type of collaboration, because you're running multiple work streams at the same time, which requires massive orchestration. Um, what are some lessons learned in, in terms of doing that, uh, helping people understand how to manage all those moving parts happening at the same time? Because it's, it's faster cycles across the board. You no longer have the classic waterfall. Uh, I remember like it was great in product management, like you come up with all the specs, you throw it over to developers and guess what? We get to go to conferences. We go to conferences, we can hang out, we can think, and then the developers would come back and then they test it. And then you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And they go do the same thing and you just cascade down the line and that whole thing's been collapsed, so. Right, well, when you think about it from an enterprise perspective, you know, we think about changing your business and running your business. And those are two really distinct things. So from a change to the business standpoint, you're trying to increase variability. You're trying to test and learn as you're describing. It's about prototyping. It's about solving problems. But that's very distinct from other parts of your business where you're really focusing on reducing variation, where you've got traditional hierarchies and bureaucracy and standard operating procedures are a good thing. You know, one of my colleagues likes to say, I don't want to do an agile takeoff or landing on an airplane. Like, it's good that we have standard operating. It's a good thing, you know, um, but where we're trying to solve customer problems, whether that's solving for customer solutions, how that ties to business process or the technology system itself. And I love the way that Sandeep described that. It's really about sort of cutting across all of that to the end consumer. Um, those agile teams are so beneficial and they should be tied to your strategy. So the way that you get the collaboration is when leadership sets really clear, specific outcome-oriented objectives for these teams that they know what they're testing and learning against. And in that agile innovation cycle, they're clearly tied to part of the operations because it's not just about changing the business and running the business. It's about how that harmonizes together so that you can scale the change throughout your company. One of the interesting things that we find is that a lot of companies like to put these bigger, more transformative changes on the side. They don't want to have them designed into their core business, so to say, or like sponsored as in, in their main business units or divisions. And the challenge with that is that's where all the expertise lies. So I actually want my agile teams designing and developing these new ideas inside the business units that they're trying to disrupt because I want that expertise available to help solve problems for how I'm going to scale it. So whether I'm doing a new manufacturing process, or it's a new customer solution that's just done a very different way or meets a very different need. Uh, I want that sort of expertise to be uh, tapped into because it'll make the whole process of getting the end result of that innovation much faster. And that's really what you're going for. That's the, the 100x. It's not about you know an idea. I can come up with lots of ideas. Um, but actually having those materialize in your business and scaling them and realizing the results, wow, that's, a, that's way harder. That is hard. That is hard. And, <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah, it is. It, and, and I think about it like your clients are Fortune 50. So you're trying to move tankers uh, and you're trying to have these incredibly large, complex, you know, rooted in, you know, this cultural gravity, potentially talent uh, obstacles and so on and so forth. So anyway, uh, but in your book, you talk about, look, agile teams can make work more fulfilling for employees. Agile teams can help C-suite get closer to frontline and where, the, where there's opportunities for innovation and opportunities to delight stakeholders. And you also said it can improve uh, customer satisfaction scores, net promoter scores, total lifetime value of the customer. So all of these things, what, what led you to write the book Doing Agile Right? Because again, you must have witnessed 
many of these things not working properly because you didn't have an agile team or agile processes. <laughs> so what was that last that I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to write a book and help right. people do this right. What was it? No, We're going to make it much better for everybody. Right. And, uh, it sort of implies doing right. that wrong. Um, no, it, it's, uh, it's an important topic because what we see, there's a lot of experimentation out there and there's a lot of what we would call bad agile. And it's examples where you are copying somebody else's org structures. So I'm going to look to Spotify, say, and I'm going to take this idea of squads and tribes and I'm going to take my employees, sort of shake them all up, take people who have agile principles and put them all in new jobs. And while I'm at it, you know, I'm going to trim 30% of the workforce and make it a cost cutting exercise, even though that has nothing to do with innovation and growth. Um, and, and I'm going to do all of these under the guise of agile. And it is, giving agile a bad name that's that's not what agile should be all about if we're trying to drive speed and innovation and growth let's make it about speed and innovation and growth and not about cost cutting and not about these big bang transformations if we're going to do agile right let's agile our way to agile if we're in a fortune 50 company let's break that down to a division a part of the company get some experimentation going figure out how to make it work in the four walls of mars or any other company and um, test and learn and scale it. Let's scale what works. Um, and that does require, again, not just the teams, you've got to change funding and planning, you've got to change your talent systems. It's, it's a lot of what, what you were describing, Bella, but the prize is worth it. I mean, you, you talk to anybody who's worked on agile teams, even without all of the other broader operating model changes, they love it. They never want to go back. So outside of IT, Sarah, which line of business do you think is uh, most ready or most uh, has the biggest appetite to adopt agile principles? Um, and I say uh, put IT aside because I'm assuming, uh, you know, uh, you have to have a, 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 a digital savvy, business savvy CIO as an advocate when you're embarking in agile uh, transformation, even if it's a small portion of a Fortune 50 company, the CIO, I'm assuming, plays a significant role. But I mean, which line of business do you typically see uh, championing agile transformation? Sure. So from a functional standpoint, of course, you see it in IT most prevalently across companies. From a, from a line of business standpoint, we see a lot of the emphasis towards becoming an agile enterprise in retail. We see it in financial services, which is, you know, anything that is going largely from bricks and mortar into digital experiences, omni, mm. um, you know, where industries are being disrupted more quickly and there's more change to be driven. Um, that's where we're seeing the, the adoption be the greatest. But I think it will be true across companies, across industries. You're starting to see it now more in CPG. You're starting to see it more in even B2B industrials. Um, when there's a better way to run your company and you can achieve results faster, we see oftentimes even 40% productivity gains. That's huge. You compound that in any given week. That means I get done by Thursday morning at 10 a.m. what my competitor is doing all week. And I compound that over 40 years. You know, that's a competitive advantage that's sustainable. So is it a boardroom issue? Yeah, like, are people saying, like, are, are boards saying, are we agile enough? Like, is our governance committee saying, hey, where's the agile team? Like, like, have we got it back into the board so they get that they have to do this? So, like, other issues that have popped up or other board priorities in the past? Yeah, it's a great question. I think certainly the demand for the pace of change everyone recognizes. The question is, how do you do it? And that's where you see mm -hmm. a lot of this experimentation. 
for us, the journey starts with agile team experimentation, thinking through how agile do you want to be? There needs to be an alignment on, on what's that agile ambition? What does good look like in your industry and strategic context? And then it's a leadership journey, you know, both as a leadership team, you know, we had a, an article that came out in HBR called the Agile C-Suite that discusses some of this. Um, and obviously there's a chapter in the book, but the leadership team comes together in a really different way and acts as an agile strategy team. And then the functional leads also have different accountabilities that they need to pick up. You know, the extent to which a chief marketing officer mm -hmm. needs to really know and understand and represent the customer and make sure that the customer feedback loops are really robust and that those are, are working for all of the agile teams. The extent that the CFO needs to start thinking through the changes to funding and planning and how do we start to make more VC-like bets um, you know, for our agile teams while not disrupting annual planning. You know, that notion and how we collectively come together to do strategic prioritization as well as resource allocation has to change. And so you end up with a, team sport, yeah. a, a, a leadership challenge as much as, you know, it's really not about the boardroom. It's about the leadership team um, and getting the leadership team on board. You know, uh, you know, I was sad today when I heard the news about Lord & Taylor, you know, 190-year-old company um, closing. And, you know, I, I wonder if they had read your book a couple of years ago, would they be at a different place? Um, and, and, and so, you know, um, you know, I, I think this is such an important concept, mindset, principle, practices. Can you give us some companies that are getting agile right? Um, and it doesn't have to be in retail, but if it is, you know, uh, who's doing it right? Who's, who, who should, who should other companies reference and not just copy, like you said, you don't want to copy right. and, and, you know, do, do agile theater. Uh, but who are some of the companies that you think, uh, is, is worth following? Sure. No, it's a great question. The um, the interesting thing from doing the research uh, the, is that the companies that are the most agile actually won't declare themselves as leading on this dimension. I think it's because when you are in a learning mentality and you set really bold strategic objectives, you see the potential and the possibility for where you want to go. And so you don't declare yourself as, as winning. Um, but some of the companies that are, are discussed in the book and, and folks that we would look to are people like Amazon, um, Bosch, mm. Royal Bank of Scotland and, and financial services and others. So, you know, as you as you go through the chapters of the book, we highlight uh, a different company example and you can can read some of the details there. But I think most companies are on the journey. You know, they they haven't declared victory. Some are, are very much earlier stage than others. But it's important to be on the journey or I think you will be left behind. Can you ever declare victory? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, <laughs> nor should you. But, oh, nor should but you. if you haven't come through that mindset like you have, Ray, then you're looking for companies who are declaring themselves agile, right? If you're, if you're yeah. still thinking about it from a traditional perspective, then there's an achievement and a, you know, you're not in this learning and growth mindset where of course you would never do that. You know, you hear Sandeep talk about his right. failures. Like that's a great example of agile leadership. 
You know, we've got some great questions right, right. popping up here. I kind of filtered them here, but one of them is really, are agile companies more innovative than others? We have another one that says, you know, what type of agile is best for IT companies and why concerning participation of all team members? Um, this guy's- You gotta read the book. Strong. You gotta read, if you want so, the answer- Buy the book, the don't even worry about it. No, but, but just quickly, <laughs> any kind of uh, short short things that pop up that, that you think- Yeah, I guess um, on the innovation point, we think about changing the business broadly. So it depends on your definition of innovation. Um, if innovation is about new customer solutions, is it about changing your business process and digitization? Is it about you know how to do all of that together in the right way? Um, certainly companies have to adapt and change much more than they ever had. And companies that are more agile are doing that very, very successfully. They're doing that much more quickly. And importantly, they're doing that in the areas that are focused and matter for their strategy. It's not about change for change sake. It has to be aligned and focused on the strategy. And that's often the hardest part. No, yeah, I, I remember uh, Jeff, 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 Jeff Bezos was asked, uh, he said, he said, I'm often asked what's going to change 10 years from now. I'm rarely asked what is going to stay the same 10 years from now. And he said, the second question is more important. Speed to value will always be something that innovative companies are going to focus on. And, and, and Sandeep mentioned, you know, again, to stay relevant, speed to value. So Again, remove, like when I think of Amazon, with, you know, 2,100 ghost stores, removing friction, going in and out of the store, no checkout line, the combination of technology and mindset and capability, all pure speed. Uh, so anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I'm not surprised you referenced Amazon because I actually believe that they, they have that agile mentality uh, in terms of what they do. Yeah, the other, the other quick thing I would say related to that is it's not the absence of a roadmap or a plan. Right. So you've got these big goals. You have a plan. It's that it's adaptable. It's that you're changing it based so that you get the speed to value that you're describing. You know, the people that can play agile is the absence of planning. It's just it's not. It's just an adaptable no, no. roadmap. No, no, no. it's a lot of planned planned orchestration of anything that possibly hits the organization's ready to take on whatever challenge is up there as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. We're here talking to Sarah Elk, partner at Bain & Company and co-author of <laughs> Doing Agile Right. Read the book, get the book. This is the most important book you're going to probably have to read this year. Uh, why? Because you're trying to get your teams ready because you never know what's going to happen next. We've had every hundred year event hit us in one year. So, hey, Get Agile right. So thanks a lot, Sarah. Thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate your insights and hope you come back. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, Such intensity. This is, uh, this is like, like some great stuff. Today. <laughs> some great leaning. Our final guest. Our, this is our cleanup hitter spot. This is where we bring someone to hit a grand slam and bring it home. John Reed, co-founder of Diginomica. John doesn't like when I read his bio, but I'm going to do it anyway. John Reed has been building enterprise communities since 1995. These days, John's a roving blogger analyst. He also advises vendor startups on reaching today's informed enterprise buyer. Now that the sales funnel is discredited, <laughs> he's a digital co-founder, enterprise irregular, and purveyor of multimedia content. His long-running Diginonomica column, Enterprise Hits and Misses, has become a go-to source for those seeking deeper context, opinionated takes, uh, and uh, his core areas include the problem of customer experience, the pursuit of AI analytics ROI, and the realities of transformation efforts. You can follow John. He's a must-follow on Twitter at J-O-N-E-R-P. Think about how early adopter of Twitter he was to get that handle. Welcome back, John, to Disrupt TV. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks for letting me wreck your show again. I appreciate it. 
<laughs> Thanks for using the term my POV. Uh, we love yeah. that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad. My POV. I was going to say, I'm glad the intellectually, intellectually substantive part of the show is over and we're on the home stretch now. This we're on the home stretch. We can have fun. We're going to do the side by side battle, point to each other, have nice. a little fun. But you get the idea. No, hey, look, you of anyone and like of all of us like you probably goes just as many events as i do right and we're not traveling anymore and one of the big topics has been virtual events and you are on a rant on virtual events let's just start there and let's get excited and see what's going on there yeah okay so um i'm, I'm gonna get to that in just one sec because i, I have um i i do have an ongoing digitonomica series on the art art of visual events and virtual events and and it was really in, inspired a lot by the fact that there's just been a parade of, of mediocrity. And that has frustrated me because I think there's actually so much potential um, for virtual events to actually excel in compelling ways. And instead, what we've heard is a lot of excuses, a lot of very poor design by vendors, but there have been some real bright spots. And so for your, um, for your audience, I've prepared my top seven do's and don'ts. Um, so I, I do want to do want to get to that in, in just one minute. Um, but before I do, I, I did want to comment on the previous segments for a minute because one of the pr good things is to be able to yeah. hear what other people have to say. Um, the the thing that really stood out to me, my, my big takeaways, I love when Sandeep said it's about customer empathy and focus um, and not about AI and blockchain. Um, and I, I took that to mean he wasn't really dismissing next generation technology as much as just saying, like, start with your customer. I love that. And, and from exactly. Sarah, I from Sarah, I love that notion of let's go from sporadic agile, sort of agile by urgent desperation to systematic agile for the future, right? Like, so how do we do that? I thought, I thought those takeaways were brilliant, but, but as sort of the resident grouch on the show, I did want to grouch a little bit about digital transformation for just one minute, because I, I think we have to be a little bit careful here because um, I, I'm a digital transformation advocate, but I think we have to be a little careful about implying that if, if, if we just embrace that, then then, then, then the com companies would be okay right now. And like, like, look, I mean, Mars is an incredible story, but they're also propped up by a lot of consumer demand right now. And like, take, for example, Starbucks, the digital darling of the last few years, now struggling, taking big hits. And, and they are working to reconfigure, right? And, and they're probably going to reconfigure about as well as anyone, but they're struggling right now. And there's no, no amount of transformation and digital savvy can do it. And so I guess the point I wanted to make, and I think it's pretty obvious, but yes, digital acceleration is part of COVID, but the pain and suffering of COVID is a reality too. And it's distributed unequally and unfairly across industries, companies, and individuals. And it's something that I'm just trying to really conscious of because the best thing about being in our industry right now is trying to help other people out and trying to acknowledge that there are struggles that go beyond any kind of magic methodology. So I just wanted to say that. Well Got it. No, deep insights. Well well Thank said. you. Well so these deep insights come from deep traps. Yeah, but that was very profound, John. That was what you just said was incredibly important. And uh, you look very professorial. I just want to say that. Before oh, we get oh, into thank, the thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> but but I think it is going to be really fascinating. It's going to be really fascinating. I think retail is a really fascinating one because you have, I mean, Target, Target just had, we have a story on our site on Target because they just had our their best um, like digital revenue quarter, just just really blowing it out and, and just showing how they're going to use their storefronts in a new way. And so there are huge opportunities, but like you said, Lord and Taylor, what, what happened there, right? So anyway, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. 
but um, but onto yeah. the subject onto the subject of virtual events. Um, so I actually have some visuals for you guys because I I, I always bring my visuals for you, and I'm going to do the top seven do's and don'ts, and then I figure you guys are going to want to chime in a little bit. And uh, we've got a, we've got what I would call the fall silly season coming up. We got a ton of virtual events coming up, so we got it. We got to all prepare ourselves now. And one of my points is that great virtual events are not about expensive productions and production values. And I'm going to prove that to you right now. Let's do this. <laughs> you're, you're on the big screen. You're, you've got the yeah. entire screen right now. Thank you. So, so the first one, uh, this is kind of, I'm just joking about this, no music, um, but there's, there's been a lot of bad music on virtual events. I just, I just want organizers to remember that, that the music coming out of our laptop speakers and stuff sounds like crap. So just keep that in mind when you're when you're booking these events yeah. um and now, no ozzy no ozzy osborne please Let's yeah 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 so, and this is a no <laughs> by the way this is in no particular order but number seven is no keynotes now i was gonna say don't do keynotes at all but i didn't want to traumatize ray too much but don't <laughs> don't don't call your streaming keynotes a digital experience for virtual event attendees your keynotes are background noise okay so keep that in mind. Um, number six, do not use your virtual event as a stopgap until your real event comes back next year. Let me put this out there right now. You're not having a live event next year. Quit pretending like you are. Throw your creative energy into making this year's virtual event great, and then let's see what happens from there. Okay? Then... Don't claim you have an interactive event just because you have a panel. Don't confuse panels with true inter interactivity because basically panels are the webinars of virtual events, okay? <laughs> number four. Hold the signs up higher. Higher, here we go. <laughs> higher? Okay, yep, there number you go. four. <laughs> tell your exhibitors and partners that don't tell them they're going to get a bunch of leads from your events. They might not get any. And this is one of the big problems with virtual events right now. So we have not figured out how to monetize it successfully for our partners and stuff like that. What we need to do is bring them into the event design and partner with them and say, let's work together to figure out a model where we can all gain from this. And I've seen some good ideas, but we can't overpromise. I've seen these abandoned exhibit halls that are just brutal for exhibitors. Okay. Then, um, whoops, am I out of order? Oh, number three. Uh, Answer the freaking question. So, in other <laughs> words, um, don't buy. Um, don't don't say we'll get back to you after the event with all these great questions. Answer the questions in real time during the event. Are we picking up on a theme here? I can't. Um, it's pre-recorded, dude. <laughs> sorry, sorry, John. John, do, yeah. do, do you find do you find do you find all the answers? Do you find all the questions are answered when we had live events? No, but actually one of the interesting thing one of the interesting things about virtual events is they're actually superior for answering questions in those formats in a lot of cases. Like like you know how it is in the live events where you're waiting in this long awkward line to talk to the speaker for a minute um and you're trying not to listen in on other people's conversations and stuff. Well, in virtual you can throw people into a, a big room after after a session. You can let them talk directly in a group. You can have anonymous questions in chat. This was the other thing around how virtual events are sometimes better than real events. You can ask a question anonymously. You might not have been comfortable asking in person. So number three yeah, is that yeah, you're right. 
Number three is don't buy into the lie that virtual events are inherently inferior. Push the envelope instead. They can be better at certain things. They can be better at Q&A. They can be better at anonymous questions. You can score a bunch of LinkedIn connections if you build it right. Uh, you know, that, that kind of mm. click, click, and you're connected. You're not waiting in line for sessions. If you go to a crummy session, you can bail on it, and you don't have to walk three miles to get to the next session. So Three miles. Maybe he's referencing a conference that I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Might uh, not be in Las Vegas, I hear. Yeah. Oh, and you, no, no, no. Some city in California, maybe, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, don't script your event. And... You know, don't be afraid of chaos and unpredictability. Recruit terrific people. Bring the best people, the best customers together and throw out your script. Now, yes, you can pre-record some sessions. Of course you can. It might save your event planners a bit of hair loss if, if you pre-record some stuff. Um, but we've had events this year. You guys have probably gone to them where everything was pre-recorded. Setting your alarm to, to wake up and to wander through a content library. That's Especially crazy. on the West Coast. Especially yeah, on the West that's, Coast. That's absolutely crazy. And and one thing one thing people should keep in mind is I, I'm making this stat up, but it's gotta be true. If if you sat down right now to watch all the replays that already exist, all the recordings that are already online from this year, I think it would take twenty years of your life to do it. So I we had a good question here. Are we pre-recorded right now? No. no. <laughs> this is live. I'm gonna see, I'm gonna see this guy maybe at, in the afternoon at a Starbucks in some undisclosed location in Santana Row. Anyways, <laughs> so so those so those were the don'ts. Shall we? Uh, do you want to? Do, do you have any? Do you want to add or do you want to go on to the do's? Let's go to no, the do's. But 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 but, 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 but yeah. I want to jump in here because you're right. I, mean, I, I look. We are, we are redesigning our event and there's some elements of this, but, but you're right. We went through this first phase of virtual experiences. Like, okay, let's just pre-record everything. It's a broadcast and everything just got played and it's all push, right? There's no engagement. There's no serendipity. There's no, I mean, there's no networking. It's, it's awful, right? And so I think yeah. we're done. No one, no one is ever going to attend another virtual event like that. So, so now let's yeah. talk about what the right stuff is. What, what's going on next? Unfortunately, Ray, I've got about 20 virtual event invites right now that look a lot like the the, the bad ones mm -hmm. I was just describing. So well, I'm you're not gonna sure channel every... surf. You're gonna channel surf it. You're gonna like exactly. leave, you're gonna watch like so, the sport, so let's, you're gonna watch whatever's on TV. So what's so good? Let's get, Tell let's us the get good to stuff. the art of the possible here. These are the do's. Again, these are in no particular order, but these are the these are my top seven. Must see live. Start yeah. with creating a must see live event. Build your business case from there. It, it'll take a little work, but there. trust me, there's a business case around creating must-see live events. Number six, interactions. Put yourself in your attendee's shoes. They're looking for interactions. They have questions they want answered. They might miss Las Vegas. Some of them maybe. I miss Las Vegas sometimes, but they don't miss your keynotes. I would never expect you to say you miss Las Vegas. That's unbelievable, dude. <laughs> dude, I even, fig I even so figured out. I even figured out how to ride the monorail there. So anyway, but um, but so, so I love how Vegas, do you, uh, but, when, you when, when when you say when you say interaction, is it more than just Q and A? Is there other things we could do other than it is Q and A to stay in it is, it is it is, and and I'll, I'll get to a couple more. I'll get to several examples of that in just a minute. Um, so okay. so but but the key takeaway here is a lot of vendors have spent a whole lot of money on bad events this year, and that what they've gotten confused about is it's not about trying to put on a substandard imitation of a talk show or something. Um, you, you're never going to compete mm. with the with the Letterman's and the Conan's or whatever. It's not a talk show. 
It's about interactive interactivity and community building. It should be technic technically stable with decent video and audio, but it's not about dumping money. I've seen some very expensive failures this year. So number five, push the envelope on what is possible, especially with interactivity. Things I've attended this year that are in my series that I've written about, things like I've done virtual speed enterprise networking that was fantastic where I wound up with multiple LinkedIn connections all over the world from these like quick amazing conversations with people from around the world. Yes, that can be done. I've, I've been to session to events where there was a pro hack where speakers would roll off the keynote stage into, into a, a special session that you paid extra for um, where attendees could sit, interact. They didn't even go to a lot of the main sessions. They just wait till the speakers rolled off stage and then the speakers would debate each other. And it was just so organic. And one mm -hmm. of the attendees said, I can watch these the replays of the main stage anytime. What I can't miss is these live discussions. So, so Vala, continuing to answer your question on number four, something that's breakout rooms. So many mm. events have not taken advantage of breakout rooms. Put your CIOs in the same room. Put your put your pharmaceutical CMOs in the same room. Let them mm. talk. Um, give them a chance. These are priceless opportunities for people to connect. We, we've consumed so much Netflix the last six months. We've watched so much crap. Like, we, we don't want to be passive consumers of content at these events. I, I can't state that any strongly. Mix up that diverse lineup of speakers with attendees. Now, here's where I'm going to throw a little cold water on myself because I've been kind of preaching. Number three is design and facilitation. In other words, these types of events that I'm promoting right now I got to admit, they require more design. They require better yes. facilitation skills. You need sure. to have more people on hand monitoring the chat yep. to, to isolate yep. problems and customer issues in real time. And, and, and you need to be able to step back and think about in real events, you were able to invite your prospects. You know about this from Dreamforce, Vala, right? Like how powerful <laughs> it is to bring your prospects to Salesforce events and, and experience the community for themselves. Well, guess what? You can do some of that virtually. Now, now look, it, it's not, of course, it's not going to be the same, but why are we, why are we just saying, just lowering the bar on ourselves all the time? Why not see how far we can push this? Yes. It's about creating experiences. I hate that lingo, but it is, it's about giving people a memorable experience. To, uh, to answer Holger's question, it was the August uh, analyst summit hosted by Salesforce's chief digital evangelist. Go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. <laughs> Thank Thank you, here's Bob. the question for you, John. John, this is the one. What was the best event so far, John? What was, what was good for you? Well, you know, I, I wrote about a few of them that have been good. And, and you know, there, there's different kinds of events too, right? Because there's smaller, like, analyst-type events. Um, uh, Sage and Tact has thrown some really interesting one, analyst events that were kind of more like wine tastings that were just recognizing mm -hmm. that people just wanted to see each other again. It wasn't even right. about downloading, like, showing – we didn't even see a single friggin' PowerPoint slide. Um, but I did write about – uh, a, a pr the present summit event, which was a, an event actually for zoom broadcasters and stuff. And they, they had a fantastic combination where they were, they were basically live streaming the whole thing on YouTube. Um, but then they had a pro track that I described before um, where w that where you paid extra and you have the special access, small group discussions, speakers rolling off stage. Have you ever been to a, a, an event where the different keynote people gathered in heated discussions backstage and bounced ideas off each other from totally different perspectives? Yeah, yeah, this yeah, yeah, this yeah. kind of stuff is yeah. totally possible. It just requires some more creative design. Okay, so we got two more to get through. Num number two, 
virtual is permanent. Think about virtual inclusion as a permanent thing. Even when you're on the ground, events come back. Radical inclusion of virtual events. In other words, like I talked mm -hmm. to this one guy who was an expert, loving the event he was participating in. It was the presence one. He's a disabled guy. He can't get to shows. He, he's homebound. Mm -hmm. he, he's actually paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And the, these are people that could be active parts of your community. And, 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 and I'm not just talking about streaming the keynote. Think about how you can incorporate people into a community. So these virtual so-called best practices, even when on the ground events do yeah. come back and, and they eventually will in some form, like keep that virtual. Yeah. yeah. And, and finally, Ex expanding, the expanding the Q and A session for someone to remotely ask the question of a keynote presenter. Yeah. Exactly. Be, that's a great, that's a great way. Yeah. Go ahead. And, and one more quick one, shop around for platforms, quit. Quit blaming your crappy platform. Maybe your current <laughs> webinar provider isn't the best option. Look at new virtual event platforms. There's a lot of funding going into the space right now. Ray can tell you he's experimenting with one for CCE. There's a lot of platforms out there to look at. So don't, don't allow yourself to be held back by the limitations of your current platform. None of them are perfect right now, but you just got to be creative, embrace the chaos, and start creating live experiences. That's my message today. That's amazing. That's John, awesome. we, I wanted to talk about your B2B selling. I wanted to talk about the state of IT spend research, but you crushed it. You took one topic, one topic and I'm going to write an entire ZDNet post of your entire recommendations because it was so good. Thank you so much. You always sure. found a way to just grand slam, grand slam. <laughs> well, and and, I, um, I look forward to ahead, wrecking, I look forward to wrecking the CCE event in just a couple of months here. So <laughs> listen, no. Ray, is, Ray is setting the bar high. So bring your game. You bring your A game in terms of constructive feedback John, because it John sounds like CCE is going to crush it. John knows exactly what we're doing. Um, it's uh, CCE October 27th to 28th, for those who don't know. Um, it's completely going to be experiential. It's like flying Emirates. You're going to have domestic, and it's awesome. Like in, you know, in, in Ray, Redwick, I, you know. I, want a, I want a digital fire pit. I want us in a private room <laughs> with a fire pit. Late in the evening. We can get close. We can get close to it. But we're trying and, and, to deliver the first class experience and it's what we call a cosmic experience. So the VIPs are gonna have the cosmic experience and it's experiential. It's got the engagement, it's got a back room where at any point at any time you can meet up with someone and talk. Uh, the speakers, when they're done, they're going to all come to the uh, this little back room where you can come join them in a chat whenever v you want VIP, to. VIP access to Tom Peters is once in a lifetime opportunity. So I mean, there's only 250 VIPs that we're going to actually admit huh. uh, to keep it, keep it intimate. Uh, but we'll stream everything else free uh, live to everybody else so they can enjoy it. So, but it, it is going to be a unique experience, and uh, it starts with the cosmic experience box. That's all I can say. So. Cool. <laughs> hey, hey, just just one real quick plug on Volid Caesars on my on those topics i have written articles about those this week so if you guys want to check them out they're on diginomica um the it spending one was really just about how it spending is just not created equal some things are doing better than worse you can check it out online but it was fun to talk to you guys always a pleasure and, and i want people to read i want people to read your today's post because it's b2b selling in COVID economy and i'm just taking one sentence out of a long read uh, which is, uh, I'm on the belief that marketeers must become information providers and community builders, whereas enterprise salespeople must become expert advisors in industry, with industry chops. Read this post. Read this post. Anybody watching, I don't care if you're in sales or not, John's post today in terms of selling in B2B is brilliant. Um, John, we should come back on the show. We can just, for us to just talk about that.
So we're John Reed, co-founder at Diginomica. Thank you so much. You can follow him at John ERP and of course get to the Diginomica site. So thanks a lot, John. Happy Friday. Thank Happy you, Friday to you guys. Thank you, John. And a shout out to uh, Jim McLeod. I just saw his name pop up. Jim is vice president of marketing, one of the most creative people I've ever worked with. And in fact, designed, when you see Disrupt TV logo and all of the imagery associated to our show, this is our 625th interview over four years, episode 204. At the ground level, we tapped into Jim to unleash the creativity of what the show was going to be about. He is uh, one of a kind talent. Nice to see you, Jim. All right. <laughs> so Vala, right. no what show on, I know, no show next week, but we're back on 9-11. We got some great guests. Who do we have for episode 205? We have an extraordinary entrepreneur who's been noted by uh, some of the top Silicon Valley um, executives. Mark Karake is the founder and CEO of Impact Africa. This is a guy who was an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, engineer. He decided he's going to go to Africa. He's going to build a startup ecosystem, and Jeff Wiener of LinkedIn and, and, and Microsoft Gates Foundation and all these folks found out about the work he was doing. And so he's building an army of new entrepreneurs in an incredibly growing economy of Africa. We have Dapali Nair. He's, she's the CMO of IBM. She was, I think, just ranked the top 10 most influential women uh, yes. business leaders in India. And uh, she's extraordinary. What an amazing storyteller. And we're going to end with Dr. Gita Nair, Executive Medical Director at Salesforce, a practitioner, a physician who's now helping us develop our innovation roadmap. She was a former Chief Medical Information Officer at AT&T. So we have an amazing show in two weeks. Yeah, Great. we got a good COVID-19 update as well. It's what's real, what's not, and uh, get everyone all set up. So in two weeks, we'll see you there, everybody. Thank you so much, and have an awesome Friday. And of course, have an awesome weekend. So take care.